Shalom mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. I say to you, the Jewish person that has crossed your path is not an accident. You are to demonstrate the kingdom and love them to Jesus. This is the set time to favor Zion. And I have to tell you, coming from a Jewish background, coming to the Lord uh, uh, some 40 years ago, uh, it, uh, I wish, I just wish I understood what you're about ready to hear. And the truth of the matter is, there are aspects and depths of what you're about ready to hear that you have never even considered. And I want you to consider something. Just maybe the reason that your prayers seem to be a brass heaven, you're not getting through, you're not seeing the physical healing, the transformation in your marriage, the transformation in your children, uh, the transformation in your finances, just maybe because you haven't understood all that Jesus did for you. I listened to a series by Dr. Jim Richards, which is called Three Days That Changed Your Life. And I believe it's going to absolutely transform your life. Now, Jim, you told me something when I spoke on the phone to you recently. You said uh, that when you went to foreign countries that some of the great evangelists of our day have gone to, people like T.L. Osborne and John Osteen, that they said to you, how come we're seeing greater miracles when you're here than we saw with these great men of God? And you answered them, what? You know, first of all, it was very, a very humbling and shocking uh, statement. And the, the man that made that statement was someone who interpreted or translated for all of us. And so I, I, he asked me, what is your secret? I said, I, I don't know what the secret is, but I went away and prayed about it. I didn't think I had a secret, but I went away and prayed about it. And I, and I came back with two things. I came back with the fact that, first of all, I always preached the gospel in places where they had never heard the gospel. In other words, most of my crusades were in jungles and, and on beaches and, and in markets uh, in the remote areas of, of these countries. So I wasn't preaching to a group of people that had already been drastically affected by hearing a compromised gospel. But the second thing that I came to realize is that pretty much all I preached uh, was what Paul called the cross of Christ. In other words, it was about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you, you know, when people hear the term the cross, uh, they focus on the cross and not what it really includes. That's right. The concept of the, or the terminology, the cross of Christ, if, if that does not include 
uh, his death, you know, what he endured, what he went through, uh, what he incurred, what what he experienced after after he died on the cross, the resurrection and the victories that he obtained from the resurrection. If it doesn't include everything from the cross to the throne, then in reality, it's not the message of the cross. But but you know what occurs to me. That, and by the way, there are people listening to us right now, and they say, oh, I know that. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> you just keep listening. You'll understand. But when you explain this to the people that have never heard the gospel before, and they grasp it, what kind of Christians do they become from just an, an a, a, a presentation and then an invitation to make Jesus Lord— I have to believe they're off and running rather than sputtering. Oh, listen, that's so true. And see, you made a key concept there. Is I, I don't feel like we've been successful in any of our efforts if it does not end in these people. I, I don't want just to end in the fact that they have a born-again experience. I want them to connect to Jesus as Lord, because apart from connecting to Jesus as Lord, they're just going to be people who are saved and struggling like Christians all over the world. And when we fully embrace what the price that Jesus really paid, it is next to impossible to do anything except fall deeply in love with him and uh, become deeply committed to him. But I believe that 99% of the Christians listening to us right now do not have the revelation that you're going to share this week as to what Jesus accomplished. Do you think I'm being too too uh, harsh here when I say 99%? What do you think? You know, I think the number is is incredibly high, and so many times when I sit down with people or share in churches or share on television or on the radio, I share this message. I'm telling you, I get email after email after email of people who said, this finally brought the pieces together. My struggle is over. Now I'm falling in love with God, which, by the way, the number one testimony that we get uh, out of all of our ministry efforts is people fall in love with God. That's the number one testimony we get. I tell you, if you love God, you'll walk with Him. If you love God, you'll, his, his, what are you, his commandments won't be burdensome. If you love God, faith will work, because faith works by love. Well, you know, as I hear your teaching, it's so obvious from the Word. How did we get so far removed from the simplicity of the true gospel? Well, sadly, sadly, history tells us that that Jesus had barely left planet Earth, and there were power struggles, and really, really, Christianity became a, a political tool for greedy, power-hungry uh, men to build organizations to dominate the world, and the whole, the root concepts of Christianity were were pretty much lost. Uh, really, within a, within a hundred years or two hundred years of Jesus of Jesus' resurrection, so our problem is we have a we have a church history now of two thousand years where people, when they talk about faith in Jesus, their faith in Jesus is more in the uh, really in the human Jesus, if you will, the Jesus walking the earth, or what I call the historical Jesus, and and you know we should understand and believe in the historical Jesus, but. 
our faith doesn't work because we believe in the historical Jesus. Our faith works because we believe in Jesus as Lord who conquered death and the grave, sickness, disease, the curse of the law, and, all, and, and obtained for us the promises of God. Uh, well, you know what I noticed, Jim, is people study what Jesus did, and rightfully so. We should study what Jesus did. We should study every single miracle. And then they try to reproduce what he did, and they fall on their face because they don't understand what went on after his death, burial, and resurrection in the invisible world that is available today. And they're almost approaching it as Jesus did when he walked as a man uh, before uh, he rose from the dead and seated on the right hand of God the Father. I think that's where we're missing it. You you hit the nail on the head. See, we we should look at G, the man Jesus, who God anointed with the Holy Spirit, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. We should look at him as the model of who we are and who we can be and planet Earth right now. But then we have to look at the finished work, the resurrection of Jesus, what was accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, and say, now, it, this is where I get the power to do that. I This week, I want you to take us on a trip. Take us on a trip of when Jesus died and when he was buried and when he rose from the dead, and what really transpired in the invisible world, and how these three days will change our life. That's going to be the journey we're going to take. And I'll tell you, by the end of this, and particularly if people follow up with the support resources that you're offering, I'm telling you, people's faith will explode. Their capacity to live a victorious life will be beyond anything they've ever imagined. Uh, But what I have to believe if I had, all, I had so much zeal back then, I have as much zeal today as I had back then. But if someone had made that clear to me when I became a believer in the Messiah, as much as I've done now, it would have been nothing compared to what was available for me. And all these years of unbelief because of unanswered prayer, I wouldn't have to deal with all those layers that I had. I think you're exactly right. You know, Isaiah said, who has believed our report? Well, we're going to make sure people hear the report that Isaiah was talking about so they have the opportunity to believe God's report about this finished work. Well, we only have a, a minute or so, but why don't you start? Well, we want to start right there. Isaiah 53 one says, who has believed our report? And then Isaiah gives us a picture of what happened on the cross, and he starts with the what we call the exchange. Uh, Jesus became our sin. Why? So that we would be delivered from his sin and be, be able to receive his righteousness. Having become our sin, he took all the curse of the law that we deserved so we wouldn't have to live under the curse of the law and so that we could uh, be free from it. He was rejected of God so we wouldn't have to be rejected of God. He took all of the curse of the law so that we would ne- so that the law would never have a legal right so that the devil would never have a legal right so that no entity would ever have a legal right to make us believe that we have to settle for it. So it starts with believing about the exchange on the cross. 
And the best way I know to believe this is by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And as you listen to, we put together six of Jim's best CDs teaching this concept. Trust me for two things. Number one, you do not have this full revelation, which you will when you listen to these six CDs. And number two, once you get that full revelation, he has tools to help you operate in that full revelation. So we're making the six CD series called Three Days That Changed Your Life, available for a gift of $35. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Now, Jim, on yesterday's broadcast, we, you were teaching a little bit from uh, the uh, six CD series we're making available, Three Days That Changed Your Life. Uh, and so few Christians comprehend what occurred in the invisible world and what the difference is between an old covenant believer and a new covenant believer, and what the difference is even between the revelation as explained in the epistles and, uh, and some of the other books in the New Testament, as opposed to studying the Gospels before it, the, the kingdom was demonstrated, what, a, what, what uh, the God-man could do, Jesus, and that uh, uh, because he could do it, we could do it, but it doesn't explain how he did it. It just explained what he did. Uh, so I asked you to teach a little on this, uh, and you started with my favorite passage in the Old Testament, uh, a passage that was written by Isaiah 800 years or more before Jesus came to earth, Isaiah chapter 53. This is such a hot chapter explaining what happened to Jesus and why uh, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that in traditional synagogues, in our regular synagogue readings, we read Isaiah 52 and we skip Isaiah 53. We go immediately to Isaiah 54. This is hot material, if you'll continue teaching in Isaiah 53. Yeah, Isaiah 53 teaches what we call the exchanged life. And you know, I always tell people this, anything that I'm going to pray about, anything that I want to have happen in my life, anything that I'm going to, that I'm going to be looking to God for, my question is, you know, how do I know that I can have it. How that how do I know that I should be able to expect it from God? Well, you know the first question, first thing people say, well, you got to look to the scripture. Well, well, I, I understand that, but see, people look to the scripture and they see promises for healing, they see promises for prosperity, and even though they see those scriptures, the truth is they still really don't believe that they are qualified for for those promises. And the truth is, those promises written in the Scriptures are going to be pretty much meaningless to me unless I look back to the cross. Because I have to go to the cross and say, do I see on the cross that Jesus did anything about sickness? Do I see on the cross that Jesus did anything about poverty? Do I see on the cross that Jesus did anything about sin and my shame and my struggles, you know, that I'm going through? 
And Isaiah says, who has believed our report? And I tell you, you really, you really nailed it there. Uh, it's amazing that that any group of people would so want to create their own report. Uh, you know, Old Testament Jewish believers do this. New Testament believers do this. We try to choose the parts of the Bible that make sense to us. We try to choose the parts of the Bible that fit into uh, what we've believed all of our life. Because we really are coming and saying, Holy Spirit, this is in the Bible. You're my teacher. You you show me this. One of the greatest exchange uh, scriptures about the cross that tells us what we have in Jesus and why we have it is uh, uh, and then, uh, comes to us in Second Corinthians 5.21, where it says that, that he, talking about God, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, righteousness, your righteousness is an easy word. I, I taught on righteousness for 30 years before I ever looked at the definition in both the Hebrew and the Greek, and, and I discovered that the word righteousness or the word righteous means as I should be. It's, Boy, that makes it simple compared to all the definitions I've heard. Oh, yeah, yeah all the definitions I've heard had to do with a reaching this state of perfection, this state of flawlessness, and being able to earn something from God. But really, righteousness is that root, is that state of being where, yeah, in my character, but in my health, in my finances, I am as I should be based on God's promises and based on the finished work of Jesus. Now, when he gets down to righteousness, and Paul identified righteousness in Romans 9, as the stumbling stone of the gospel. He said, of all the things that people are going to trip over, of all the things that people are going to get hung up over, of all the things they're going to argue about, faith righteousness is going to be the biggest stumbling stone. And he said, about faith righteousness, he said, this stone will fall on you, or, or excuse me, you'll fall on this stone and be broken, or this stone is going to fall on you and be crushed. But one way or the other... Uh, those are the two options that you have in sorting out the issue of faith righteousness. Now, Jesus became my sin. If Jesus had not become my sin, I would have to stand at the white throne judgment, and I would have to give an account for every single action that I have ever done, and I would be judged before God by my sins. But instead, at the cross, Jesus became my sin, and he became my sin and took all of the punishment that I deserved for that sin, and then was raised from the dead, conquering not only the sin, but conquering the consequences and the punishment, the curse of the law, the sickness, the disease, the poverty, the rejection of God. And by his faith, he was raised up in righteousness. And there's the exchange. He took my sin. Now, if I'm willing to believe what Jesus did for me at the cross, now I'm, the Bible says that I will be baptized into his body. The Holy Spirit will literally immerse me into his body. And now that I am in him, and now that I am one with him, I share in his righteousness. I'm not even, I'm not even approaching God on my own righteousness. I'm sharing in his righteousness. Uh, you know, that reminds me of a scripture. As yeah. he is, so are you also in this earth. 
Yeah, right now in this earth, not yes. not a thousand years from now, but right now. As he is, so are you right now in this earth. What a powerful verse. You know, the Apostle Paul, and uh, you know, all the epistles, when we understand why they were written, we get keen insight. The, the, the epistle to the Colossians was written partially because of the theological uh, concept that... Uh, that uh, the devil had authority over me, and particularly, particularly if I made any mistakes, that that gave the devil authority over me, and I had to be afraid. And so Paul writes, and he starts his thing out by, look, Jesus is head over all principality and power, and everything that's created in heaven and earth, every name. And so first, first and foremost, he identifies the fact that Jesus is head over all this. But he makes a really interesting statement in Colossians 1, it's either 12 or 14. He says, he says now listen, you have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. King James says, and you have been made meat, but that word meat is qualified. You have been qualified for the inheritance of the kingdom of light. You see, because I'm in Jesus, based on his finished work at the cross, because I am in him, he's qualified, therefore I'm qualified. And when, I, and when I stand before God seeking, I don't know about you, Sid, but I know that a lot of times, you know, I'd start, I'd be trying to pray through for a healing or something, and, and you know, suddenly I would realize something I'd done wrong somewhere. And, and, you know, and I believe when you recognize you mishandle something, you need to repent. You need to deal with it. And, and uh, Sure. The great exchange without a repentance is of no value. That's right. And so... But, you know, but I realize that even though I have repented, that in and of itself is not really what qualifies me for this promise of God. It makes my heart able to receive it. It makes, you know, it, it does a lot of things. It, it makes me able to move forward with God. It makes me able to overcome my problems. But see, I stand before God, and all believers stand before God saying, if Jesus is our Lord, and if he is the focal point, the starting place has to be, I stand before you qualified, not by my works. You know, just like the scripture you quoted at the beginning, not by my might, not by my power. I stand before you and all of my hope and trust for healing, for prosperity, for peace, or for any promise that you have ever made, I have one reason to believe that I can share in that. And that's because I am in Jesus and in him and in him alone. I am righteous. I am as I should be before you. Is that powerful? Uh, yeah, you know, it's so powerful that I want to get our people to really understand this. They can't get it in depth, but I want you to trace what happened when, what caused Jesus to die, and then when he died, what happened to him, and what effect all of this has on us because he rose from the dead. That's it. You know, we're not operating New Covenant faith if we're not operating our faith in what Jesus accomplished. Everything's got to be about him. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not about how hard I can believe for healing. You know, when, I, when I'm trying to get healed, you know, I have a few questions I ask myself, you know, or when I'm trying to get anything, it's like, did Jesus solve this problem through his death, burial, and resurrection? That's, that's, the, that's the real question that's got to be answered. If the answer to that is yes, then the next question is, am I in him? And if I am in him, is that enough to qualify me for this promise? And you know what? 
that's the only thing that qualifies me for that promise, and that's the only basis for me as a New Covenant believer to have New Covenant faith. Uh, Jim, we're out of time right now. Jim, I want you to explain what caused Jesus' death. What happened in the invisible world between the time he died to the time that he rose from the dead and where he is right now and what effect that has on us? Uh, If you just briefly describe that. Well, it'll probably take us the rest of the week to get all of that, but... You know, I have I have a thing I call uh, creation to Calvary, and what I realize is that God has had one consistent thread of of truth, reality, and purpose from the from the moment that even really before He even created man, all the way through to today, that that suddenly makes everything come together. You know, God created the world, and He put man here because He wanted to have a family. Because God is love, love cannot be perfected if it's not given to someone with the capacity to receive it. And so God created us in His likeness and image, and really one of the key things about being in the image and likeness of God is that we have the capacity to know and feel His love. So God puts us here, we're family, we're in fellowship. At some point, man decides that he's going to do his own thing, and we know that he brings sin into the world and destruction into the world. And so if man got what he deserved at that point, that would have been the end. But God created us to be a family. And so so God wanted a family, and even though we created the problem, in his love, God had a way to fix the problem. And actually, the Bible says, says that this was done before the foundation of the world, before man ever came in, before sin ever came in. God loved us so much that he said, I realize that by creating this family, I have to be ready to sacrifice my son. So, Jesus comes to planet Earth, and he comes as a man. And boy, we could spend a lot of time on that. See, man had brought sin and death and sickness into the world, and only a man could take it out. And so, uh, Jesus became a man. He lived a sinless life, and at the end of his life, he is crucified. And this, and this is where so much of the breakdown starts happening in New Covenant faith, because we have this idea, really we have this idea that the Jews killed Jesus or that the Roman soldiers killed Jesus. The real truth is God the Father killed Jesus. And I'm telling you, some people are taken back by that. And he did it because if if he did not pour out the wrath for all sin, in fact, the Bible calls it the propitiation, the satisfying of wrath. If, if Jesus did not satisfy all wrath for, for our sins, then we would have to take the punishment for any anything that wasn't paid for. So on that cross, the Bible says that God laid on him, in, in Isaiah 53, it says it laid on him, the iniquity of us all. And having become our sin, he now has to carry the curse for our sin. Isaiah 54 says, you know, he bore our griefs and sorrows, and some scholars say those are the words sicknesses and infirmities. It says he was wounded for our transgression, and he was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement for our peace, which is so essential. In other words, if this chastisement had not been done, we could not have peace with God. There would still be enmity 
between us and God if the price for sin had not been paid for. So it says he was bruised with our iniquities, and the King James says, and by his stripes we have been healed, and you and I have talked about that. That's actually the word bruised, or by his bruising. Uh, God bruised him uh, with our iniquities. Right. In other words, we think when the Roman soldiers uh, whipped him, that's where we got healed. But that's not what God is saying. (laughs) Literally, when he bore every sin— and every sickness and every emotional hurt and every problem of humanity, the only word God could come up with is bruised. His entire body was bruised. That's right. Yeah, as a new believer, in particular, when I first started you know, believe, believing in healing, which actually I believed in healing from the moment I got saved because I experienced so much physical healing just right off the bat, but also knew that God was God, you know, healing had to be a reality. But I remember going to church, and the first time I ever heard a message about healing, they, they talked about, you know, 39 stripes for 39 diseases. I listened to all that, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this, but I could never theological or intellectually connect how the stripes that the Roman soldiers put on Jesus brought any benefit to me. But when I began to look in the original language and realize, no, this is those Roman soldiers couldn't put my sickness on Jesus, but God could. And because God bruised him with my iniquity, then I was delivered from all of that iniquity and all of its results. Therefore, by that bruising, I am healed. So on the cross... And I don't, you know, I don't know if this is true. I've heard some people that I really respect say this, and it may be true. You know, uh, we, we do know the Bible says that every one of his joints went out of place. We do know that we do know that his, his he was marred more than any man. And you know, some people say that that may have been one of the reasons that there was an eclipse when he was on the cross, because for him to take all of our sickness, disease, and sin, he was probably marred beyond anything that that anybody could look on. So so when I hear the word bruise, I don't think of the depth of what you've just described from the other revolu- revelation. It, it's far worse than bruise. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, with a bruise, you get, you, uh, when a person is bruised, the blood leaves the vessels. In other words, in other words, it, it literally that's what a bruise is. You get hit so hard that the blood leaves the vessel. Will you imagine getting hit so hard, if you will, with the iniquity of the entire world, and and Jesus, every part, every all the blood in his body left the vessels, and he was marred beyond anything, and all of that we have to realize. All of that's what the Bible calls the propitiation. This is where we were delivered from the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, see, one of the reasons I think that people aren't in love with God, the Apostle John says the only way that we can love him is when we come into this realization that he loves us first. And then he goes on to say in in 1 John 4 that if we want to understand love, that we have to look to the propitiation. Now explain that word. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation is the satisfying of wrath. And I think when we look, instead of having this watered-down gospel, 
when we look at what Jesus really went through, when we understand that God loved us so much that he bruised him with our iniquity, that he paid the total price, that God himself turned his back on him, then you suddenly start having this incredible realization of how much God loves us. And I don't think that we can grasp the love of God really with the watered-down message of the cross that's preached today. So, take me to this next phase. The, the, all of the sins, all of the uh, 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 sicknesses, everything comes on him from, for all time, and he dies. <laughs> then what happened? He dies, and he, he faces the penalty that we would have to face. He's separated from God, and in the Greek, he's in Hades. That's not, that's not eternal hell. That's not the lake of fire and brimstone, but that is the abode of the wicked after death. And he is bound in the grave in that abode by our sins for three days and three nights. And during that period of time, if we look at the book of Jonah, we see what he went through. He went through this incredible struggle, all of the rejection of God, all of the emotions, all of the pain, and and but he kept... I'm reminded of the 22nd Psalm. He, he quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that has got to be from the depth of his being saying that. And but the, the the wonderful thing about that is because he was separated from God at death, we will not be separated from God at death. Everything everything that he faced we'll never have to face because we believe on his resurrection, which doesn't just mean that we believe he's alive. It means that we believe the report that Isaiah said, this is what he went through on the cross, this is what he went through in the grave, and this is what he had to conquer to come up out of the grave. And when I say I believe on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it means I believe all of those victories, and because I believe them, I share in them, in, in my life, in my heart, in my physical body, in every aspect of my life. Okay, in the grave, you say he conquered it. How did he conquer it? You know, just stop and think about it. He had all these promises of God. See, remember, he had to do everything exactly as um, any man would have had to do it. See, God had said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, God had said, I, you know, uh, all of these promises about, you know, you're the scepter of your throne, the scepter of righteousness. I'll make your enemies a foot. So I believe that Jesus was in the grave, separated from God worshiping God through all of those promises and psalms, and by his faith, in other words, by his immovable trust and those promises of God, God was able to raise him up in righteousness, raise him up uh, by his own spirit, conquering all of those things. And that's what faith righteousness is. It's not just the fact that I believe in righteousness. It's the fact that Jesus... I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're out of time right now. Mishbucha, when you hear the full presentation, there'll be a depth of your understanding of what Jesus did. You'll fall more in love with him than you ever have in your life, but you will then be given the tools to operate in the promises of God. It's what you need. It's what you want. This six-CD series is available for a gift of $35. It's called Three Days That Changed Your Life, and it will. Call our order-only line, 
Now, Jim, on yesterday's broadcast, you explained how Jesus took all of these sins and all of this sickness upon himself when he was in Hades. And what, how, how did he overcome this? It says the same spirit that rose Messiah Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So it was the Spirit of God that rose him from the dead, but there was a process involved to explain that. The process was the process was faith. The process was that Jesus believed what God said about him. Now you know, just stop and think about this. The very first temptation that Jesus ever faced was was to challenge his identity. You're not who God says you are unless you go unless you know you can prove it. The very first challenge that Adam faced in the garden was you are not who God says you are, and if you really, if you would eat from this tree, you would you'd really find out what you're missing out on. Identity is so crucial to understanding the whole issue of Jesus' life, death, ministry, resurrection, and understanding how we walk with Him. Because you see, what Jesus could not face, He could not even begin His ministry until He had resolved the issue of identity: Am I who God says I am? Well, ultimately, when he faced death and Hades and and the punishment for all of our sin, it was that very belief, I am who God says I am. I am God's beloved son. uh, My throne, you know, is the throne of God. My enemies are my footstool. The scepter of my throne is righteous. Uh, my, My... you know, my body will not see corruption. I, you know, all of these promises, he had to go to these promises, promises and say, I am who God says I am. Well, that's what righteousness is. The word righteousness means as I should be. I am as I should be. I am who I should be. He believed the truth about God. And the Bible says that he was raised up by the Spirit of God. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is Paul teaches us that if if we have revelation on three basic things revolving around the resurrection, that that the same Spirit that raised him up into that identity, see, he believed this is who I am, this is who God says I am, and God says that's right, and now. I'm going to give you the grace, the power, the capacity. Now all of that's going to explode inside of you by my spirit. Well, Paul says that if we'll believe some basic truths about the resurrection, that that same spirit that raised Jesus up is going to raise us up right now into newness of life. And you, you know, you're triggering a thought that I've been pondering for a long time. I think I'm going to take advantage of being the host and ask you this. And that is, we are, as I understand the revelation, we are in two places at one time. We, we are here on earth, and Jesus is in us, because the Bible says that, uh, if we're born again. And we're also in Jesus, who is at the right hand, seated, at the right hand of God the Father. We're in two places at once. What does that mean to us? You know, there is an invisible realm that Jesus referred to called the kingdom of God. 
And he said, now, this kingdom of God, it doesn't come by outward observation. It doesn't come by force. You can't go out here and and declare enough wars and conquer enough evil people. You can't fight to accomplish it. But there is this realm within you called the kingdom of God. And that is the realm of God's reality. You know, the word glory, and the Bible talks a lot about the glory of God. The word glory comes from the Greek word doxa, from which we get doxology. And man, look up the word glory. It's Thayer's lexicon gives you page after page after page after page. It's such an inclusive word. The brightness, the greatness, the splendor, the wonder, the majesty. But you go through all these pages, and you get down toward the end of this, and it says the view, the opinion, the reality. And you begin to realize that there is a realm of reality, God's reality. And, you know, even though our body is in this world— as you said, we're seated with him in heavenly places. And we have the opportunity to participate either in this world based on this world's rules, or we have the opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God, which is this invisible inward realm based on that world's rules. And we're going to choose one or the other, usually based on which one we give the most attention to. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm seeking to live my life from the inside out, recognizing who I am because I'm in Jesus. Man, if we just went through the Scripture, uh, New Testament, all the time that it said in Him, through Him, and by Him, and just wrote all those down, we'd find that there's over 200 references to who we are and what we have just because we're in Him, but you don't see it in this physical realm if all of your focus is only on this physical realm. We are in Him and we can translate those things from the right hand of the throne to this world right now. Okay, uh, I want I want to go back now. Jesus is in Hades. Uh, he's fighting all of the, every problem we'll ever have. By faith, he wins. the uh, The Spirit of God resurrects him now uh, to to heaven. What happens next? As nearly as we can understand, and I don't know, I know the order of this, we know that the Bible says that one of the things that he did was that he purged the heavenly holy of holies that had been defiled. So he purged that with his own blood. But then the Bible tells us something so interesting. It tells us in Colossians 2.15 is that he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, you know, the word principality and power is basically the word rank and right. In other words, the authority and the right to do something and having the rank or the position to do it. And this tells us that Jesus, somewhere in this process after the resurrection, literally strips Satan so that he has no legal right to do anything to us in our lives. Or... Yeah, you know, I think we should meditate on that for the next month. What's that, Colossians 2.15? I mean, that is amazing. <laughs> now, here's the most amazing thing about it. In, in the King James, it says uh, he made a public speckle, spectacle triumphing over them in it. That is the word, that is the phrase, triumphal procession. And a triumphal procession was something that only happened when there was an absolute final victory. In other words, this wasn't just a one battle. This doesn't mean he just won a battle over the devil. This means 
that the, this was the final absolute uh, battle, and this is why you know Isaiah prophesied in the you know at the end we'll stand and look narrowly on Satan and say this is who I was afraid of. This is what made the nations to tremble. I, I've read that, and I, 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 I really have had fun with that verse. But go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I meet Christians who have more faith in the devil than they do in, in the finished work of Jesus. That they, ha- they, they believe that the devil can take them at will. Well, you know what? That's why the Book of Colossians was written to tell us. No, as a matter of fact, uh, how much time do we have left? I, I got one story I'd like to squeeze in. Squeeze it. All right. A triumphal procession would be where these battles have been going on, but the king goes out, and he finally conquers the opposing king. And what he does is is he gouges his eyes out, and then he cuts his thumbs off so he can't hold a sword. He cuts his big toe off, but toes off, so he can't stand up and, and, and battle. He ropes or chains him to his own saddle, and he goes back to his to his kingdom, and he drags this enemy king through because he wants all of his people to see. You never have to be afraid of this person again. And the kids come out and spit on him, and the people throw at him, and people go to bed in peace because they know this enemy king that's been raiding our countryside no longer has power over me. Well, unfortunately, most Christians missed the parade. Jesus sheds his own blood. He takes his blood. He puts it in the heavenly altar, and then he sits down. I think it's not an accident. He doesn't stand. He sits down next to God the Father. What does that mean to you? I can understand it. That signifies it is complete. It is finished. Now, but on the cross, he says it is finished. So That's right, and he fulfilled. When he said that, he had fulfilled every uh, thing that God had led him to do. He had fulfilled every prophecy about his life. But salvation doesn't come until after the resurrection. So well, we're out of time. My guest, Dr. Jim Richards, has got a revelation on three days that will change your life that so few Christians comprehend because you can only comprehend it from the Scriptures. And there's been such a mixture of tradition added to Scripture, layer and layer, that you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. And as a result, I believe when you get this six-CD series uh, called Three Days That Changed Your Life, you will fall in love with Jesus deeper than you ever have in your life. And you will start doing the works of Jesus. I love uh, the way that you not only teach this in the series, Jim, but you show us things that, uh, in fact, if we have time today, I want you to uh, teach us how you pray now that you have this revelation. But we've talked about the cross, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. What does this mean, uh, not in just some theological abstract, what does this mean to us, what Jesus accomplished? What effect should it have on our life? You know, this this changes everything, and it, and it changes everything on so many levels. The, the, the Bible has, gives us some promises. So, for example, 
Uh, when I was dying of a kidney disease, I, I, I tell you, I had gone through operations. I was 28 years old. I had, uh, uh, and literally was on experimental drugs that uh, were keep. They were keeping me alive, but they were destroying what was left of my kidneys. And and, and I remember as I was sorting this through, and I was a you know a young father and a young husband, and trying to figure out how I was going to walk through all of this. There were there were some there were three cornerstone scriptures based on the resurrection of Jesus that totally changed my world. And the first one was that you know Galatians three thirteen is that Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. See if I'm looking if I am looking at the cross of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection then I should not be passive or allow in my life anything that Jesus delivered me from. Because otherwise, his death is in vain. I'm not, I'm not having value for his death. And I remember as a young man sitting there saying, all right, my life looks like a curse. I'm broke. I can't pay these hospital bills. I've missed so much work. I can't pay my other bills. I've got all of these kids in here that may lose a father at any moment. I'm sick. I'm in pain. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But Galatians 3.13 says, Christ delivered me from the curse of the law because it says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. So I had to look at the cross and say, Am I delivered from the curse or not? If I'm delivered from the curse, then the question is not, am I going to ask God now to do something? Because he's already done something. He's already delivered me from this. The question is, will I make the choice that I need to make? Will I choose then to exercise my authority as a believer and say, no, you have no right in my life. I command you in the name of Jesus, this has to stop. And, you know, and I did that. And absolutely nothing at that moment changed. But I really didn't care. That The issue for me at that point was no longer could something happen in that very instant, even though I wanted to. The issue was, will I stand firm on the finished work of Jesus? I went to another scripture that said, that said in 2 Corinthians one twenty that said, no matter how many promises God has ever made, they are all yes in Jesus. And I said, okay, because of the fact that Jesus conquered Death, sin, sickness, disease, the grave, he was raised up in righteousness, and, and I am in him. Am I qualified for the promises of God or not based on based on that? And I said, okay, yes, all the promises are mine. So I, so I started looking up promises. Because of the finished work of Jesus, these promises are mine. And I'll tell you, when some, you know, when, when condemnation would come to my mind, I'd go to Colossians 1, and I'd say, okay, I am qualified for the inheritance because I'm in Jesus. And I took those three scriptures and said, this is the way I'm going to relate to life. If these are true, and I believe they're true, I'm going to relate to life as if they are true. And day by day, as I renewed my mind, and as as I influenced my heart, which those are two different proposals right there, but one feeds the other, as I influenced my heart day by day to the degree that that finished work of Jesus became more real to me than the problem that I faced, I walked out of that problem. And uh, and in 1983, uh, I walked out of kidney disease. I walked out of a lifetime of kidney disease and was whole and well and strong. And now, you know, here we are in, in 2012, and I'm still moving and going and whole and well and strong. I, I, you know, as I've studied your uh, six CD series, uh, you make uh, you have a revelation 
uh, that I haven't heard taught before that will literally transform the way people pray. It's not based on your faith. It's based on his faith. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's that's kind of a mind-bender. You know, I don't have to have enough faith for healing because Jesus had enough faith to overcome disease. I don't have to have enough faith uh, for prosperity. Jesus overcame poverty. What I have to have faith for, and the, and the one thing that, that the Bible tells me for sure I've got to have faith for, well, do I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and do I believe that I'm really in Him? Now, if I believe that, then all I can say is because I am in Him, this is already mine. And I just acknowledge that, and I worship God in that, and I rejoice in that. And, and see, when, we, when we're asking God to give us what he has already given us in Jesus, in a certain way, that's not a testimony of our faith. That's a testimony of our doubt. We're saying, you know, when I say, Father, give me healing, then really what I'm saying is, you didn't give it to me in Jesus. I want you to do something else. But when I approach it and say, you know what? Jesus, you obtained uh, eternal life. You obtained victory over all this, and I'm in you, and I thank you that that's mine. And, and I, again, I begin to rejoice and ponder and meditate and consider and sing and worship. It just becomes a reality. But, but when you teach that it was Jesus' faith that overcame in Hades, I mean, that's a distinction that I've never looked at before. Well, you know what? It's, it's that distinction that saved my life. And, you know, I, I've spent my life uh, going to the nations of the world, and I don't even know how many times I've come home from the mission field. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but probably at least uh, three or four times in the last uh, 30 years, I've come home from the mission field with some kind of a disease and uh, just have literally have doctors tell my wife, this is it. Matter of fact, I can remember one time they, they called my doctor called my children together, or told my wife, I said, call your children together, because if they won't see their dad alive, they're going to see him tonight. And, you know, and I can remember laying in that bed with my fever at like 105, 106 degrees, totally delirious, and all I could hold on to, and, you know, I was real honest, I don't, I, I don't have the faith to conquer this, Jesus, but you did, and, I, and I'm in you, and, and you're my hope. And, and, and I came out of it. You know what? I was, and I tell you where I learned that. I was preaching a meeting in the jungles of the Philippines, and man, I was out there preaching faith. And, and there's nothing wrong with preaching faith. I'm not saying, but I was out there preaching, you know, kind of the typical sermon, so to speak. And I'm telling you, it was raining. People had hacked their way through the jungle with machetes. It was hot. Uh, dogs were fighting around me as I was preaching, and I, and just in my heart, I just said, Father, I ain't got faith for this. And, and I'll never forget the Lord said, well, you don't have to have the faith for this. I never said you had to have the faith for this. I'm like, well, yeah, you did. You know, that's what I've been taught. And and the question was, did Jesus have the faith for this? Did Jesus accomplish this? And do you believe he loves these people? I said, well, yeah, I, I can believe that. And he said, well, just tell them that. Just tell them what Jesus did and let them see how much he loved them and what he accomplished for them. And I'll tell you, in a matter of minutes, blind people were seeing, cripples were jumping up off of beds and running around all over the place. Lepers were getting healed. Every, you know, deaf people were getting healed. The mute spoke. Everything you could imagine started happening because I stopped trying to get people to use their own faith to make these things happen and just decide whether or not they believed 
that Jesus has enough faith to make these, make these things. So, so what you're saying is you don't have faith in your faith. You have faith in his faith. That's what you're saying. That is so phenomenal. And I tell you, it makes life easy and light. I don't mean irresponsible when I say easy and light. It just makes the life easy and light. You know, I walk through life knowing that my elder brother, is, as Hebrews calls him, my elder brother did this for me because I really couldn't do it. When you listen to the in-depth teaching on the cross, you haven't heard enough teaching like this. And if you have, you haven't heard it with this type of revelation knowledge. Because the cross is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with revelation knowledge. We call this three days that changed your life. I believe you're going to be walking in normalcy. It's time for you to be normal, as defined by the Bible, available for a gift of $35. This is the Shabbat broadcast. I want to bless you. I want to bless you from a new covenant perspective. The Lord has already blessed you. The Lord has already kept you. The Lord has He's already smiled upon you. He's already surrounded you with his favor. The Lord has given you his peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, which means completeness. You are already complete in your spirit, your soul, and in your body. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. <laughs> To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.